It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, Matt Hausman here, your host for Smart Money Questions Podcast. I want to welcome you. And today I am really excited to have an interview with a, a gentleman by the name, his name is Adam Quiney, and he is an executive leadership coach specializing in working with the smartest people in the room. He's a former software developer and attorney, and he learned the hard way about the costs that come from keeping your heart safe and chasing after external rewards to feel whole and complete. He's actually from BC, British Columbia, living with his wife and two dogs. And we want to just welcome you to the podcast here. Adam, how are you? Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. And I've got most of the day off other than this conversation. So I'm doing fantastic. Well, that's the way we all want to live, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I've got one appointment today and that's it. (laughs) But listen, tell me, let's just talk a little bit before I've got some questions for you about when you say specializing in working with the smartest people in the room, help us understand what it is you're talking about there and then really what you help people do. Sure. So first, I'll just caveat that the smartest person in the room, it's a bit of marketing speak and a good way of crystallizing the kind of people I work with and myself. And the first thing most people have an experience of when I use that title is they think, wow, that's quite arrogant. And that's perfect because that is absolutely something that my people tend to struggle with. That so, is, you mean that they do come across arrogant? Kind of both. So they can come across as arrogant and they can also come across, they're so worried about coming across as arrogant that they can come across kind of like patronizing. So all the way oh. on the other side of the spectrum. Okay. And so these people tend to have a great deal of brilliance, which isn't better or worse than having any other particular set of qualities like you could talk about the most generous people in the room or the the most loving or the most spiritual. So this is just one of many qualities. And people with a lot of brilliance tend to often be a few steps ahead of people in terms of like seeing the patterns of any given system. They tend to be very good at operating from a logical analytical perspective. They tend to be very reliable at figuring out what is the optimal way to solve this particular problem in front of me within the confines and then to implement that result no matter what emotional feeling people around them may have about it. So they tend to rise quite highly in positions that reward that particular set of traits such as law, medicine, corporate executive leadership. However, they also struggle with the kind of you could call it the shadows or the curses that come along with those gifts. So when you're really good at running everything through a logical algorithm, you are very good at solving clutch decision problems and issues, but not so good at creating intimacy with your partner. And I can't think of the number of times I've, like my wife has said, Adam, I, I don't feel you. And then I really want to point to my my Excel spreadsheet and be like, well, you're wrong because I asked you to hug me three times last <laughs> week and I can show the number of times I initiated kissing and Wow. So, so you, we often, you really drill it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I've, I've got sums and formulas here. So that is kind of the epitome of my people. Very brilliant. They tend to have large hearts, but have learned to set those hearts aside and run everything through their head because that is safer and allows them to get ahead faster in the world. 
Well, and that was going to take me to the next thing. So you keeping your heart safe while or after external rewards have been found, yet now you're missing the things of your heart. Do I understand that correctly? That's right. That's exactly right. Okay. And the last thing, you're a former software developer and an attorney. Now, how in the world did that come together? (laughs) Well, so first of all, I just want to point to like, notice how perfect those are for exactly the kind of traits I just described. (laughs) Software, right? Everything is neat and orderly and math-based and there's no emotions. I was working as a project manager. I was pretty righteously resentful, I would say. I was bored about my work. I had managed everything to the point where it took me about three hours to do my job. And then I could spend the rest of my time dicking around and working on side projects and ultimately being out of integrity with my commitment to my job. And I thought, well, I better do something else. And I don't think a new job is the thing. And so I tried to basically solve the problem underneath all of this by changing the circumstances in the forefront, by which I mean, rather than take a look internally at like, how am I creating this experience, this life, this situation, I did what I think most of us do, which is, well, it must be my job, I'm gonna go pursue a different career. And law felt like compelling, it was very fat, I still think the study of law is very fascinating. There's a nobility to it, at least in theory. In practice, I find it quite opportunistic and capitalistic. And anyhow, that ended me up in a career in law. Wow. Okay. And obviously then outside of that, now you've come to this. So what you're trying to do, at least in our conversations and and what I have read and listened to, is you're trying to then help those people that are that smartest people in the room that have those potential issues to then connect to their heart and still be able to enjoy both sides. Do I understand that too? Yeah, that's right. And it's almost like Very few of my people would, if you went up to them and were like, hey, how would you like to have a deeper connection with your heart? They'd go, get lost. I've got to like, there is some, you know, like imagine Elon Musk, or like, I got to get people on Mars. Elon Musk, definitely smartest person in the room kind of person. Very successful, creating amazing things in the world. He's in his fourth marriage and that is disintegrating and likely is creating a culture at his company that is doing the same kind of thing relationally. And so I assert there is an experience and a culture that Elon Musk wants to create that he cannot do simply from operating from his head. And some people say, who cares? doesn't matter. He's doing enough as it is, and that's fine. I'm not interested in convincing those people otherwise. But I do say that a lot of people at the forefront of innovation and companies like this really do have a desire to create something beyond more of the same. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah. that's a perfect way to segue into... so. Just to go back over, the name of our podcast is Smart Money Questions. And really, you know, one of the things I had a mentor tell me this about 25 years ago is we get where we are in life based on the questions we ask, Mm. but the key is knowing the right questions. And so one of the things that we like to do is making sure that we're educating our listeners to knowing what are the right questions to ask when it comes to certain situations that we have ourselves or in planning. And it's not just about money. In this case, I think it can really be about what's the relationship that you have with money so we don't have to worry about going through four marriages. So help me, am I in the right place there? What, what is the first place in your story about or your relationship with money? You can steer me back onto the road, but I want to, I think that's so important. That question is what's your relationship with money? 
because I would say what most of us do is we never actually take a look there. We simply operate on top of our relationship with money. We never distinguish what it actually is. We just on top operate on top of it. So I'll give an example. The relationship that I was kind of trained in, and we, we come by this honestly, all of us have a relationship to money and all of it, it's not fabricated or without evidence to back it up. We learned it from our parents, from witnessing the world around us, et cetera, et cetera. So in my house, the relationship with money was basically money is very important. You must be incredibly careful with money. Don't splurt, like very, very consistent. So there's not a lot of room for fun, but that also means we don't have to be very afraid of it. And you should never, ever, ever, ever pay anyone to do anything that you yourself can do. Oh, wow. And, And we could you know, we could broaden that out a little bit more, but that gives you like sort of a nice starting point of like, oh, what was Adam Kwani's relationship with money? So are you changing your own oil? <laughs> <laughs> well, touche, good sir. But I will tell you, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of work to break this up because I bought a house that's very beautiful and has this gorgeous garden and neither of us are particularly prone to gardening. And I have this really strong tension in me, which is, I should mow my own lawn, and yet I really don't want to. And so where I end up is just procrastinating on it. And the truth is, there's an amazing gardener we have. We love him, and he derives great pleasure from mowing the lawn. And it saves me not the one hour of mowing the lawn, but also the four hours of binge-watching Netflix so I don't have to confront the thing I don't want to do. So it's actually like this huge savings in terms of really both time and money for me to free that up energetically. And the relationship that I was trained in in money was completely in the way of allowing that. So how have you been able to recognize what that relationship was and now come to the point that you just described? Right. So one, I think it's really challenging for us to just see this like on our own. I'm a real believer that we just can't see our own blind spots. Mm -hmm. And that should inherently sound true, right? Like I can't see my own eyeball absent like a mirror or something like that. Correct. And so we really need the support. People like yourself, coaches, anyone that can sort of work in this area with us to help us see what's below the surface. And it's especially challenging because we don't want to look at the surface. We want to do the next thing that we really feel has to be done based on our story about money. For example, if I have a story that money is really scarce and that story is kind of up and I'm really scared about it, If someone sat down and said, well, let's take a look at how you're relating to money. I'd go, no, I have to go out and make more money. I will take a look at my story about money after I've made all the money and then a little bit more because there's never going to be enough money. So it really requires working with someone that can. And I I imagine this is part of what you do, Matt, is like someone that can sit down and sort of hold the space for us to one, have that very human experience and also gently guide us back to like the deeper question that's actually really going to change the way we experience money. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that we, and I'm always talking about this, many times people will come and they'll engage us and they're two, five, six, seven years from retirement. And Mm -hmm. When they actually come to the point, and so just to be clear, not only for yourself, but then our listeners are, I define retirement as when whatever we have been doing all of our adult life comes to an end and the paycheck stops. And now what, so when you made the comment, I have to go get all of the money, whenever, now whatever money we have, now we have to create this quote, ideal retirement 
and make sure that one of our, which most people's biggest fear is running out of money, mm. is how do I go through that transition of not accruing money, but spending money? And many times that is a big paradigm shift that I remember this is like six, seven years ago, I sat down with a couple and they had come to me and it was like end of April and he was a professor and it was, I'm retiring at the end of this you know, school year which was like in two weeks. And I was like, well, have you done any planning? And he was like, well, no, I've got this, this, and this. And I said, well, have you prepared yourself for the paradigm shift that you're going to have to start spending that money? And do you know how much you're going to spend? And do you know how long it's going to last? And it was so interesting. I'll never forget it is the wife looked over at him and she goes, we haven't talked about that at all. Do you know that he put off retiring for a year just to come to grips with what that would look like? And the other thing, and I'd like for you to address this, is you mentioned the word scarce. And many times people have a scarcity as they go through this paradigm shift. Even though they've gone through and we've done planning multiple years in advance, we've projected years out, that scarcity mindset can kind of be part of that paradigm shift, which, by the way, that transition usually what I see takes anywhere from 18 to 24, 25 months. And, and how would you coach someone through the idea of really helping them going back to their relationship with money? Maybe there's a hang up there and how can they get through it? Because the consequences of that really end up just eating away at side of them and not having them enjoy. One of the things I like that you wrote over there was the external rewards. Now they don't have the opportunity. They're not really enjoying what it is that they've worked all their life for. Yeah. Well, so let's start from that underlying relationship and we'll draw it forward and feel free to interrupt me or stop me if I'm you know, off on a tangent. So one, let's imagine someone was raised with a story that money was scarce. I'll share my wife's kind of relationship to money as well, which is don't ask about money. Just know that we're screwed in two weeks. So you oh, can imagine wow. that's not a particularly powerful relationship with money. Let's take a slightly less ominous one and just have someone, well, imagine that we've got someone who like, for whatever reasons, their parents raised them like, hey, money is scarce. And so from our relationship to something, from our beliefs about something, we will then kind of take a particular set of actions. So what would you imagine someone who has a belief that money is scarce would take, like how might they act in the world, Matt? Well, they might never spend anything. They're trying yeah. to save everything. Totally. Yeah. And they might they might be really reliable to earn a lot of money in their jobs, right? Because that is another solution to this belief that money is scarce. Make right. sense so far? Yep, absolutely. So the cool thing is like there's no right or wrong, bad or good belief. There's just whatever the belief is. And then the fact that that is going to dictate in large part the actions and how we live into our world. So we've got someone belief about money is scarce. They were raised that it was scarce. They probably had a bunch of evidence that it was scarce, learned never to spend it, learned to earn very well, to seek out positions that would pay them very well. There's probably a bunch of other strategies. And what most people do is rather than ever take a look at like, hey, what if that's a belief I made up or, you know, even if I came by it honestly, what if that's not actually universally true rather than have that conversation with themselves? Instead, they try to earn enough money to outpace that belief. So money's scarce. Well, maybe if I can just earn all the money, somehow I'll stop having this gnawing feeling in the back of my head that money's going to run out. 
And as I'm sure you've discovered, it never does. Because part of the rule of the game that these people have kind of committed to playing is money is scarce. Therefore, I must earn more money and not spend very much money, which ironically then kind of proves the belief true. So this is the trouble with these sort of things is it's self-fulfilling. I don't have much money. I've got to be very careful about how I spend it. And then that reinforces that money is actually quite scarce. So therefore, maybe if I earn a little bit more money and it just keeps reinforcing itself. You just stay on the hamster wheel. Exactly. And so you can kind of make this work for a large part of your life because you can keep earning. And because as you become more masterful in whatever craft you choose, you will start to earn promotions and make more money. The trouble is that we have this, I don't know, an asymptote or like a wall that people are going to hit, which is retirement. There is a point where people don't want to keep working or where they physically are unable to. They just don't have the capacity, the energy, the desire, whatever it is. They just start to burn out. And so this is the point where they kind of collide with their relationship to money. They're no longer able to try to earn their way out of this story. And instead, now they have to confront it. So it makes total sense. I imagine you might get a lot of people who are like really reliable to earn money and have a real story that money is scarce. And when suddenly they're taking away the way they've kind of soothed or numb the fear caused by their relationship to money, things get really real really quick. No, no. Yeah, you're correct. And many times what what happens then is paying such close attention to every dollar and where it's at. And if it yeah. goes down just a tad is that it becomes, you know, the reality is it becomes more of an emotional toll on them than it does a financial toll on their overall assets. Yeah. And, and, and that's a brilliant strategy for someone where money is scarce. It's like monitor it heavily. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And they're, then they're not, they're not enjoying what they have worked for because they don't have that quote, peace of mind. And I don't know that we ever are going to get to like utopia peace of mind. But if we can start to have understand these questions that we need to ask, especially when it comes to money, because the reality is money is everywhere, right? It's always around us. And so mm -hmm. I think the idea of what you're talking about is to really understand what our relationship is to money and then how we can recognize how we, I believe what you said was, it might not be universally true. We mm -hmm. could have just viewed it in one lens instead of being able to look at it in another lens or multiple lens. And so here's what I'm going to pose to you. What are the questions that we can ask and really start to look inside ourselves to see what is our relationship with money? Yeah. So the first one it might just be that question, but like some of the ways that can sound a little... Uh, it can sound a little coachy or jargony or weird. We don't often think about money that way. So instead, you could have someone sit down and answer some of these questions. Like the first one might be money is and then blank and then just fill that out. So money is and some people will be like power, neutral. Money just is. Money is an energy. Other people will say like money is a corrupting influence. Money is evil. Money is whatever. So that's the first, you know, sentence stem I would have them start to speak to. And then next I might explore like, okay, great. People with money are, people without money are, we could ask the way you have to get money is, when you have money, what you need to do is. And so all we're really doing is starting to 
if you imagine our belief about money, if you imagine this is like an iceberg, the way we invest and the way we earn money is kind of the tip. That's the part we can see on the top of the water. And then all of this other stuff, the relationship to money is what lies beneath the surface. And so these questions are designed to start to get people to take a look at like what lies below the surface that they don't tend to be very aware of, not because they're dumb or ignorant or, or should know what's there, but just because we typically don't take a look in this direction. We just look at what is in our consciousness, what we can see. And let me follow up to that. So if the top of the iceberg is where we invest or how we're earning and everything underneath the surface is how we're getting there, I'm assuming that controls what the top of our iceberg looks like and where we're putting money. Exactly. I would go as far as to say, I don't know what that ratio is. I think it's 80-20 of the iceberg or maybe 90-10, but much like that iceberg, it's almost determinative. And if someone has a belief that money is scarce, and let's just say they've spent all their life earning that money and now it's time to retire and they have a good plan, but they haven't actually broken up that relationship or created a new relationship to money, it's going to manifest itself in the new part of their life. So it's like, great, now I'm not earning and yet money is still scarce. What am I going to do about that? Okay, I'll spend even less. Okay, I'll worry. I'll monitor my investments second by second and I'll call, <laughs> I'll call Matt up and ask him at – 4.30 in the morning on a Sunday, why the market is doing what it's doing or, you know, whatever it is, that relationship is determinative both in our actions and how we experience money, life, that sort of stuff. That's so interesting because one of the things that is probably the advice I have to give people that are three, four, five years past retirement is, hey, let's go spend this money. There's no reason to leave it around here. I mean, we, we did this planning eight, nine years ago for you to go out and spend it. And it's interesting. So many times I've had to have that conversation and I can see that they shy away from giving an answer of yes. Because mm -hmm. I always let people know, listen, I have no problem with the rubber meets the road talk. And if you're spending too much, I will tell you, right? But I think I've only had that conversation one or two times over the course of the last five years. Like, hey, listen, let's slow this down. Other than that, it's me having to tell people, let's go out, you know, plan something big. Go, you know, let's go spend this money. That's why you work forever is to really be able to enjoy it. And one of the things I think is interesting, your first question is money is, and this is what I believe, and maybe this is why we do the planning the way we do it, is I believe money is a tool. Mm-hmm. And it's a tool for us to be able to empower others, to empower ourselves, give us choices, all of those things. And that's how we should be looking at it, not just as a number in various statements that we have as we spread that money around on our iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's that you were asking perhaps earlier, like, how do you coach someone around this? And one, we want them to see the relationship to money and how that works. And two is I want them to see that it's bankrupt. You'll never be able to earn enough money to eliminate a fear that it's scarce. Like you can never get enough of what you don't really need. If you've made up a belief that money is scarce, then trying to fill that made up belief with tangible money will never work because the belief will always trump it. You can just create more. And the fascinating thing about this is we also create the reality of our beliefs. So I imagine people where there's a fear that money is scarce will also 
naturally take actions that reinforce that belief for them. Yeah, true. I can definitely see that. Mm -hmm. And um, let's go back to the people that you coach. And this is Mm -hmm. one of the things that you're dealing with. Outside of money, what other feelings or emotions are they having where the view is scarcity instead of abundance? Great question. So generally speaking, one of the, one of the, I've just finished writing a book around this leadership for the smartest people in the room. And in preparing for that, I spent about a year interviewing people, people highly regarded by their peers as incredibly brilliant. And an ongoing theme for them was I asked people, you know, what is something you really struggle with? And one person said it so beautifully said, well, Adam, I really struggle with like this syndrome I call, I want to strangle all the morons. <laughs> I was like, wow, I can really relate to that. That, that. that hits very home for me. And so Steve Jobs is a great example of this. Now passed away, great Steve Jobs, who ran Apple and was renowned for being brilliant, but also very impatient and short. He had just so little capacity for people's, the part of people's humanity that's a little dumb. And so my people have this, what happens is as we avoid being with something, we diminish our ability to be with it. So kind of like if you imagine a tolerance, the less I expose myself to something, the less tolerance I have for it. Make sense? Yep, absolutely. And so what my people tend to do is we tend to avoid being with stupidity. We tend to avoid being with emotions. And so what happens is as time goes on, our capacity to be with those things shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And we spend more and more and more time up in our heads. And so a lot of these people are, they have a lot of wealth. They have a lot of trappings of wealth because those kind of give them just a little hit of, oh, finally, this is what life is meant to feel like before it sort of sinks back down into the flat line that they're operating in. They tend to have very little emotional capacity because we've learned if you get too intimate with people, eventually you're going to have to be with their stupidity and then you're going to get angry and then you're going to either hurt them or say something nasty. And you know what? It's better just not to do that. I'll just hold myself flat. So there's often like this real lack of an experience of joy and kind of a continual low level, low grade amount of frustration that's present for them. And the way I hear you describing it, it sounds like that frustration can become more and more because of them not being exposed to the things that would help expand that. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, listen, I know that we, I'm just looking at the time, you know, Adam, I think you're kind of like me. I could talk forever, yes, (laughs) especially on things I'm passionate about. And I I think this has been phenomenal. I'm so glad that you reached out to us and decided that you wanted to be on our show. So I'm going to go ahead and make sure that everyone, if you go to our show notes, I'm going to make sure to have a link there for Adam's website. If you want to go check it out on your own, it's Adam Quiney. Did I say that right, Adam? Sure did. Okay, and that's Adam Q U I N E Y dot com. And you can go there. He's got a podcast. He's got some downloads with a lot of the information that he's been talking about today that's right there. I would highly encourage you to go do that. And if you want to have a follow up to this, or if you have your own question or scenario that you would like for us to address on the show, all you have to do is go to smartmoneyquestions.com. And you'll see there's a form there that you can do that or simply email us at 
smartmoneyquestions.com. Well, listen, Adam, I so appreciate you taking the time. This has been really helpful. And by the way, just to let you know what I did when I went to uh, Adam's website, Adam, you have a thing there. I think you call them the essays. Was yes. That right? Yes. And uh, I would highly encourage everyone to go there. You also get on Adam's email list. And Adam, if I'm not mistaken, I see him come over about once every three days, three or four days. What? Once a week, once generally a week. speaking. And when someone first signs up, we give them a bunch of content that we think will be of value. Yeah. And I can say it is a value. I really enjoyed reviewing the info. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I have really enjoyed it. This has been a real treat, Matt. I really appreciate you as host. I want you to know you're phenomenal at this. And this has been a really enjoyable conversation. Well, great. Thank you, everyone. We hope this has been valuable and we will talk to you soon. Thanks again. Thanks again.